This morning, the children are going to be dismissed now to Kids for Mission. So young people, if you're here, you'll be meeting in the youth center. And as I get opportunity at times to do this, to dismiss them, I always want to take note to remind you to pray for them as they go. Pray that God would work in their hearts and put precept upon precept in those hearts so that they can see the glory of Christ. You know that we have Kids for Missions once a month if you're a regular here. And the other Sundays, we have a children's church where they meet up in the chapel area. And my wife oversees that and does the teaching there. And a number of years ago, um, she was teaching a series called Firm Foundation. Some of you are familiar with that. It comes from New Tribes Mission. And the philosophy of Firm Foundations material is that you chronologically teach the scriptures. You start in the book of Genesis, and you just chronologically teach it all the way through to the cross and the gospels. And she was in the midst of doing that. That particular material has a video that's put out by New Tribes Mission. It's, it's fascinating as you watch that. If you ever get a chance to watch the video, I would encourage you to do that. But in that video, they are showing what's happening in the village that they're teaching in New Guinea. And uh, it's, it, everybody in the village comes out every day to hear the missionary tell this story chronologically. They're, they're literally on the edge of their seats as they're listening to it. In fact, if a woman is pregnant, um, they just bring her on a stretcher. In fact, in one place in the movie that they showed, a woman gives birth back away within hearing distance as they continue to listen. They were that intent on listening and hearing the story. And we're hearing it for the first time. We don't, we don't have that experience too much anymore in America, although it may happen more and more as we become biblically illiterate as a country. But anyway, they didn't hear know any of the story. And so as it's being unfolded in one place in that particular presentation, um, the missionary is telling the story about Abraham and about the fact that God has asked him to take his son and lay him on the altar. And just as he is ready to plunge the knife into his son, the missionary stops the story and says, we'll continue it next time. And they're in agony. The people are in agony. And, and they listen to it again. They have these crank kind of recorders and they're listening to the story again and again and and they're saying God must preside a substitute he must provide a substitute which is actually what God did it was a picture of what Christ would ultimately be for us but they came to that conclusion as they were listening chronologically and that's the way the story was laid out week after week after week after week and so my wife was doing that in in children's church the same way and uh, obviously, our kids have heard more of the story. And at one point, she was in the part of the story, in part of the Old Testament, where God was, was bringing judgment upon a people who had sinned and, and talking about those kinds of things and, and the result of sin and the, um, the ultimate destiny that sin will take us, except a Savior steps in and rescues us. And, but they don't know anything about the Savior in the New Tribes for Missions. They, they haven't heard that part of the story yet, but our children obviously had. And so as she's sharing that story chronologically, and it's bad news there in Children's Church 
one of the, one of the children says, but, 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 but what about Jesus? What about Jesus? In other words, they were so convicted by what was being said, they declared, but what about Jesus? What about, what about the remedy? And that's a perfect picture of, of what we're doing here in Romans. Because in Romans chapter 2, primarily is where we've been, and we're going to conclude that this morning, Lord willing. It's been talking about sin. It's been talking about the bad news. And why does Paul continually do that? It's so that the remedy will look glorious. So that the remedy will mean something, as it meant something to that child in children's church. As they said, but what about Jesus? They, they wanted to hear about Jesus. They wanted the remedy because they felt their sin. And, and Paul's hope is that as he begins with the Gentiles, the heathens really of that day, that, that what he says will help them to see their need and see how precious the remedy is. And now he's speaking to the Jews and they too will see how precious the remedy is, how precious it is that there is in fact a righteousness from God that God will give us and, and credit to our account. And he's going to get there, but first... First, he has to lay the groundwork so that they know how desperately they need that righteousness. So they don't cast it aside. They don't just add something to their life. But it, it, it's a desperation kind of thing that Paul is building here in this particular text. And the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at the Jews' attempt attempt to build a case for the fact that they don't need to fear judgment. That's what the Jews are doing in this last part of chapter 2. They're building a case to say, yes, the heathen, those Gentiles, we understand their sin and we understand their need. But that wrath that you're talking about is ultimately being stored up against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men doesn't apply to us. We don't have to worry about that. And then they began to throw reasons why they don't have to worry about that. One is, they said, we possess the law. We have the law. God gave us the law. We have it. In fact, we even take this law and teach it to others. And Paul's response to them was, it's not having it that matters. It's living it. And you don't live it. You have it, but you don't live it. And that's Paul's response to them in a nutshell. And then, after that is knocked out from under them, that leg, then they come back to really what is the last bastion. That's what we talked about last week. Not, we have the law, Paul counters them, and then they say, but, but, we have the sign of the covenant. We have been circumcised. We have the sign of the covenant. And Paul again counters with them, again comes back at them. And he says something astonishing. Look at the text. We're not going to read all of it this morning again, but particularly look at verse 29. This is an astonishing statement. I'm sure that the jaws of the Jews dropped when they heard this. And he says this, but a Jew, well, let me begin in verse 28. It says, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. 
That is an incredible statement that Paul makes there to the Jewish people. So basically he says, circumcision is a matter of the heart, not an outward sign. Jews had misunderstood the purpose of the law. They had misunderstood that the law that was given them, the first argument that they had was given them so they would see their need, so they would see their sin. It wasn't given to them that they would find their grounds of connection to God through it, but rather that it would cause them to humbly cry out to that God for mercy and look to his provision. The law was to show them their sin, not to be something they could somehow manage and somehow stand on as the grounds of their justification before God. And that is the purpose of the law. It's to show us our sin. And secondly, they misunderstood circumcision. And the way they misunderstood that was it was an outward sign of an inward work. That's what circumcision was to be. If something that had happened in the heart, it was a sign that that had happened in their heart. The problem is, for the majority of the Jewish people, it didn't happen in their heart. And so the outward sign meant nothing. They missed that God desired and was coming after a holy people who were transformed by God from within. God was saving a people like that, and they didn't fit into that category. They had not had their hearts changed. They had just merely painted something on the outside and taken a seal on the outside, and no inward work had been done. The truth was that salvation that was offered in the Abrahamic covenant. And that's what was offered. When Abraham and that covenant was made between God and Abraham. In that covenant was a covenant for the Jews. Yes, that's correct, for the Jews. But the ethnic Jews misunderstood what made one truly Jewish. They misunderstood that it was circumcision of the heart that made one truly Jewish. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not the letter. They understood that God had come to save a people. The problem is he came to save a people who had circumcised hearts. And that's still God's purpose, and that's still God's plan. And last week, if you remember, I read another text. We, we skipped ahead into Romans a bit, and we read a text that I paraphrased a bit. And I want to do that again this morning. And I want to read another who writes about it, who, who really doesn't paraphrase but comments on it, fills in some of the gaps of that text And you'll find that text in Romans chapter 11. So if you turn over to Romans chapter 11 and verse 17, what I'd like for you to do, if you have a Bible, if you don't, you'll have to listen intently. But if you have a Bible, follow in your Bible because there are going to be places where I'm going to deviate from that and the the author here that writes this is going to deviate because he's going to make commentary, as I tried to do last week, about this text and what Paul was really saying in Romans chapter 11. And here in Romans chapter 11, you get a picture. You get a picture of what God had chosen to do to save a people. The promises came through the Abrahamic covenant that God was going to save a people. And what I'm going to read to you is what that picture looked like. He uses a picture 
of an, of an olive tree, an olive tree. And, and he uses that picture to show the purposes of God. So let me read it to you. And I think this will help us to, to again, see God, the big picture of what God is doing. And then I want to make some comments about it. Let's begin in verse 17. And I'm reading from a writing from John Piper. Piper writes these words in his commentary about this text. This is what he says. But if some of the branches, you see that in the text? But if some of the branches, and then he inserts this, some Jews by birth, that's what those branches are, some Jews by birth, were broken off. And you being a wild olive, or Gentiles, were grafted in among them, and then he comments, because true Jews, or the true circumcision, as Paul says in Romans 2, verses 26 to 29, and became partakers with them of the rich root of the olive tree. The root of the olive tree is the covenant God made with Abraham and his true descendants. And to become a partaker of this root is to become a beneficiary of salvation, a promise made to Abraham and his descendants that he would be their God and they would be his people. If you are grafted in, if you become a part of true Israel, that's yours. You see, that's the promise that was made back to Abraham. And it was a promise that God was going to save a people. And, and here we're reading about it. It goes on to say, Do not be arrogant, you Gentiles, toward the branches, the natural Jews. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. Oh, how easily we get this turned around, thinking that Christianity is the mother and Judaism is the dependent daughter, when in fact Judaism is the mother and Christianity is the dependent daughter. Our life, our hope, our salvation is sustained only by God's commitment to the covenants he has made with Israel. The root supports you, not vice versa. You who say then, you Gentiles, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. So we see that faith is what makes you a Jew and or not, which in view of Romans 2, verses 26 to 27. But you stand by your faith. You have a part in the rich root of the promise of God to be your God. If you believe in Abraham, you stand only by faith. That's the essence of being a true Jew and part of Israel, part of the Israel of God. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, Jews have been broken off and condemned for unbelief, he will not spare you either. You can be as deceived as they were about being a true Jew if you try to cling to this tree without the Spirit changing your heart. Behold then the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell, Jews who were not true Jews, uncircumcised in heart. Severity, but to you Gentiles who have the Spirit of God and faith in Christ. God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness, that is, continue in faith by the power of the Spirit. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. Oh, how many professing Christians there are whose attachment to the tree of life is simply external and ritualistic without the work of the Spirit circumcising their hearts to love God. And they, the broken off branches of the Jews, also 
If they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what by, is by nature a wild olive tree, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and so thus all Israel will be saved. The reason I didn't end last week and I come back to this this morning is because I want us to get that picture in mind. Again, just to summarize, um, the wild olive tree, the Gentiles, is grafted into the cultivated olive tree. And what is broken off are the Jews who were Jews by ethnic descent, but were not Jews because they had not, in the true sense, because they had not been circumcised in the heart. And so grafted in, God chose then to graft in Gentiles. But the problem is that there were some, and the possibility is that these Gentiles now could could let pride rise up in them and, and begin to do the very same thing that the Jews did. And God says, make sure, make sure you're grafted in. Make sure you're grafted in. The only way you're grafted in is if your heart has been circumcised by faith. It's by faith. What we talk about in the Christian life is by faith. Whether Jew or Gentile, we're saved by faith. And so what I want to talk about this morning is the possibility that we rest in the wrong thing. We, we live today in the age of the new covenant. We live post-cross. We live post-Messiah. But there's still a danger. That's why I think later it talks about, be careful, Gentiles, don't let pride rise up. What is the essence of pride? Pride comes when you somehow are saving yourself. You're contributing to your salvation. You're doing it. That's what the Jews were who had uncircumcised hearts. They took the law. And they took other things and they tried to use them to save themselves. God said, I'll have none of that. If, if you do that, you'll be cut off. And the truth is the matter is the same for us today. If we, if we rest in the wrong things, we will be cut off. You can't be a part of that cultivated olive tree except by faith, except God circumcising our hearts changing our hearts. The Bible in other places says taking a heart of stone and making it a heart of flesh. That's what I taught the children all year last year. That's the work that God does in our hearts as he brings us to life, as we rest in him and him to do it. But the problem is we can so easily begin to rest in other things. I want to suggest some things. Suggest some things that you could be resting in that would ultimately cause you to be cut off. And, and actually, the truth is, never to have been attached. You think you're attached, but you're really not attached because the only attachment to that cultivated olive tree is by faith, is by a circumcised heart. That's the only thing that will attach you. So let me share some this morning, four things, really. There are some people today, I think, who rest on their nationality. Not, not so much as it used to be, but America's a Christian nation. Everybody's Christian. 
We have a Judeo-Christian morality. And so because of that, I'm Christian. I may attend church once in a while. So I'm Christian. I'm attached. I'm connected to that cultivated olive tree. I remember a number of years ago, um, there was a youth pastor who, on a Sunday morning in one of our largest churches, stood up, and it happened to be, it was either Easter or Christmas. I'm not sure which holiday it was, but whichever one it was, we'll, we'll pretend he was, it was Christmas. When he gave the welcome, his, his job was to give the welcome that morning to the people that were there on that Christmas morning, much like Pastor Jason would give the welcome here. And... Uh, and he, he gave the welcome that morning, and uh, he, he, he welcomed them and said this. He said to them, um, I welcome you this morning, and it'll be good to see you next Easter. In other words, what he inferred is that the people only came on Christmas and Easter. They came Christmas, and they'd, he'd get to see them again on Easter. The, the pastor that morning was not happy with him. Um, it, it, it reverberated around the country. But the truth of the matter is there's some truth in that. There are people who, who come on certain days, Christmas and Easter, but it's not a regular part of their life. But because they're somewhat attached, somewhat attached, they would rest in that. They would rest that I'm part of a Christian nation. My nationality is Christian. I'm Christian. I'm connected to the olive tree. I'm grafted in. They're resting on their nationality. Second thing that sometimes people rest in is baptism. Baptism was the corollary of circumcision. And today, many would say, my hope is my baptism. Again, missing the point of baptism. Baptism is not unimportant, but it's an outward sign of an inward reality. That's what circumcision was. It, circumcision that the Jewish nation, the ethnic Jews had, possessed was an outward sign that was supposed to reflect an inward reality in their lives. Baptism is a good step of obedience, whether in your life. But my own experience, I, I want to relate that to this because this is a place where I'm grateful that God saved me from it. Um, when I was a, a teenager, I told you that I began to be troubled with my sin as I opened this morning. I tr- greatly troubled with it, agonized over my sin, agonized over it. And in, in all of that circumstance, a couple of things came to me. One was the scripture. I, I, I heard it on Billy Graham. I, it's all I heard, but I heard Billy Graham one night. My mother used to watch that. I remember sitting in the basement. I remember him saying, if you deny me, I'll deny you. That scripture just stuck with me. And then the realization that I'd not been baptized. And I grew up, we weren't very much attached to it, but once in a while we went, uh, probably a couple times. I remember two times we went, and that's probably the only times we ever went. But it was part of a, a, a church that didn't baptize as infants, but baptized as adults. And so I began to correlate those two things together. If you deny me, I will deny you. And this church that was going to make me stand up in front of a bunch of people and be baptized. And I wasn't willing to do that right then. I remember promising the Lord, I'll, I'll go at Easter time. 
I'll go at Easter time. For some reason, I had a sense that lots of people went, and then I'll start going, and eventually I'll get baptized. And it, it, it was an agony to me that I hadn't been. Um, I, I, I just thought, I'm, I'm not willing to acknowledge him. He's not going to be willing to acknowledge me. I just hope I don't die. I mean, that's really what my thought process was. Another part of my thought process was this. I began to think, I wish I'd have been Catholic. I lived in a Catholic neighborhood. I wasn't very far from a Catholic school. And I didn't know what the Catholics believed, but I did know the Catholics got baptized when they were babies. And I'd be okay. And I, I remember being angry about that. I remember being angry at my parents. Why couldn't I just have been Catholic so I'd have been baptized as a baby? I didn't realize there were other traditions that did it. I knew they did. And that was my thought process in that. And I continued to agonize for a number of years, continued to agonize. I'm not sure exactly when that happened. It probably happened in my early teens. Maybe, maybe I was just into my teen years. So, so you can count the years. But when I was 18 years old, on that particular evening, I went to a concert in my high school auditorium of a group that had been there during the day. And they'd, they'd sung folk music during the day. And there was a girl who I had heard might go with me, and so I used that opportunity to invite her to go to that particular evening concert when they came back. Lo and behold, I didn't realize that it was Youth for Christ who had brought them in. And that evening, the concert was much different. That evening, at the end of their presentation, they gave an invitation for people to respond. And I decided, I'm going. That scripture, if you deny me, I'll deny you. And even though I didn't know this gal very well, I remember turning to her and saying, do you want to go with me? And I didn't care if she went or not. But I went forward that night, and I really believe that was the night that God circumcised my heart. That was the night that he, he, he internally did something in me that allowed me then to be grafted into that olive tree. And one of the things I'm eternally grateful for is that that he put me through that agony. I would not have said that in the midst of that agony. Those were not fun years as I wrestled with my sin and realized I wasn't acknowledging him and the fear of what would happen if I died. I would put it out of my mind, but it would come back to me in the middle of the night. And I struggled and I wrestled. But God was gracious because I'm convinced if somehow in the middle of that I had gotten baptized or been baptized... I would have rested in that. I'd have rested in my baptism rather than resting in where I needed to rest in that God had circumcised my heart. People do that. They rest in their baptism. They rest in those kinds of things. I could have very easily. Third thing that people rest in sometimes is church membership. I belong to this denomination or that denomination and they know the truth, and I'm in. I remember a number of years ago, I was at the nursing home in Ipswich, and I don't I remember who I was visiting. It might have been my father-in-law who spent some time there. But I remember there was a, a, a lady who I'd had lots of contact with, had some contact with her extended family, and I remember as she came into my room, she kind of sheepishly asked, um, how do I become a member of your church? I, I never had anybody start there. I've had people say, about coming and talk about coming to church, that kind of thing, but never everybody stopped there. And what I realized was um, she believed she had to be a member to even come. It was that significant to her. I certainly tried to tell her that wasn't the case and that wasn't where to start. But there are some who would 
rest in that. They would rest in they're a member of this or that church and therefore grafted in. The last thing that I would share this morning is there's some that would even, even come closer to where we need to rest but still not be there. I think there are people who can actually know the truth. They can know and believe the gospel at one level. We talked about this in my Sunday school class this morning. They can believe it. They can, they can believe that Jesus was born. They can believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. They can believe that Jesus um, grew up and for 30-some years walked the earth and then ultimately went to the cross. They can believe that. And they can rest in their belief of knowing knowing what the truth is and still be resting in the wrong place. The reason I think that, I shared it in my Sunday school class this morning, is because I'm convinced that Satan believes. He believes. He knows the truth. The difference is he hates it. He hates the truth. It's not a treasure to him. And, and again, you can rest in the fact that you believe something, but it, it's not a treasure to you. It's not precious to you. You don't see glory in it. You don't see beauty in it. You kind of hold it at arm's length, even though you wouldn't deny it. All of those things are places that people can rest. And I'm convinced that's what the Scripture's talking about when it talks about Gentiles, don't become proud. Don't become proud. Make sure you're connected. Make sure you're grafted in. And the only way to be grafted in, the only way, is that your heart has been circumcised by faith, by the Spirit of God. That's what I think the text here this morning means when it says to us, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. By the Spirit, not by the letter. All of those other things, if we're resting in them, are by the letter. By the letter. The only thing that allows us to be grafted in is that the Spirit does a work in our lives. If the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, convicts us of our sin and helps us to realize the foolishness, the foolishness of looking anywhere else to have an adequate righteousness before God, except to the work of Christ. We're coming, folks, in a few weeks to to really just again and again and again talk about this righteousness from God. It's a righteousness that he provides. It's a righteousness outside of us. It's It's the only righteousness that will stand the test. It's his righteousness. God gives us his perfection. And if you're resting anywhere else, if you're resting anywhere else for your hope, then you fit into the category of those Gentiles who may think they're grafted in, but in the end will not be. I read from John Piper in that particular description of the cultivated olive tree. Let me share another quote in that same section he's commenting on this. He says this, 
Without the Spirit, we either reject the law of God out of hand or we change it into something we can manage. Without the Spirit, we either reject the law out of hand, the law of God out of hand, or we change it into something we can manage. We change it into something we can use to attempt to try to save ourselves. And the truth is that won't work. Any attempt to save ourselves by placing our faith in the wrong places won't avail. There's only one place to put our hope. And the correct place is in the righteousness that comes from God. This morning, if you see your sin, my prayer is that it's caused you to run to that righteousness. If you see your sin, you don't attempt in some way to rid yourself of your sin by your own efforts. But you look to the effort of Christ. You look to the work of Christ alone in that. Again, I'm grateful. I said in that issue of baptism, I could have easily, I could have easily run to the wrong place. I could have easily been deceived and rested in the wrong place. And what Romans is about is to tell us there is no place else to rest. There is no place else to go except to what God provides, the righteousness of Christ. The worship team is going to come this morning and we're going to sing together. We're going to sing together a song that just declares that. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Is that where your rest is? In in him? In him alone? In his work? Or are you trying to find it in yourself? Are you trying to find the merit in you? That won't avail. That won't do it. In the end, you will be disappointed because you will, in fact, not be grafted into the olive tree. It can only happen by the Spirit in our hearts. That's why the text ends, and we talked about this last week. It says, the very last verse of this particular text, His praise not from man, but from God. His praise not from man, but from God. God changes the heart. God knows the heart, and he will change our heart as we acknowledge our sin and cry out for his mercy and run to Christ and all that Christ has done. That's how we are grafted in to the olive tree. Let's stand and sing together. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand When darkness fails his lovely face I rest on his unchanging grace Every high and storm
into the olive tree is that we do stand dressed in your righteousness alone, a righteousness that you accomplished outside of us, a righteousness that you exchanged our sin for and you give us as a gift. Lord, we're grateful for that gift. We're grateful for that work that you did to accomplish it and provide it for us. And I pray this morning that we stand in that alone and nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in God's peace.